Hello and welcome to episode 500. Yes, episode 500 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are coming off of a Zach Taylor is fantasy enemy number one kind of week. Yes, that's right. T. Higgins had a hamstring issue leading up to week 14, limited practice on Thursday, limited practice on Friday, but T was not listed on the final injury report. So we get to the game, game starts, T. Higgins isn't out there, nowhere to be seen, comes in for one snap, just really weird. Sideline reporter pops on to the broadcast for CBS, comes on, says, oh yeah, T. Higgins is available, but he may not play very much due to the hamstring injury. It's a coach's decision. Oh boy. Then after the game, a game in which T played exactly one snap, as I said, Zach Taylor says this, we didn't want to open him up, referring to T Higgins, we didn't want to open him up and run. That doesn't mean he couldn't get a goal line fade on the one yard line. There was no sense in ruling him out. I didn't see any reason to do that. So all this opens up an interesting discussion, I think. The Bengals say T Higgins was fine as of Friday, but then the issue popped up during warmups on Sunday. Okay, even if you believe that, is there an obligation on the Bengals' behalf to inform the public that there's an issue? Or better yet, if on Friday a team knows that a dude is going to play, but he could be limited in the game, do they have an obligation to list him as questionable? The, the NFL rules are, are somewhat muddled on this. I'm, I'm quoting the rule book here. It says, other injuries may be reportable because of their effect upon a player's performance despite his continuing availability to the club. As one example, assume a club's quarterback suffers an injury to a finger on his throwing hand. After treatment, he is able to finish the game despite his injury. Given the injury's effect on the player's performance and the fact he is a key player, the injury must be listed on the club's practice report each day the following week, even if the player takes all the reps in practice, even if the club is certain he will play in the next game. In such a case, the player should be listed as full participation, but he would not be listed in the club's game status report because the player is certain to play in the club's upcoming game. In other words... What they're saying is that if a player is injured, quote unquote, but is certain to play in the upcoming game, he should not be listed on the injury report. But then there's this thing that says C section two game status report on page five. So now I go to page five. I feel like a fucking lawyer reading all this shit. But anyways, I go to page five and there's really nothing in there about a situation like this, a situation where a team knows a player is playing, but he's going to be emergency only or limited. The closest relevant paragraph reads, if a player was listed on the club's practice report during the week, but is not listed on the club's game status report, it means that the club is certain the player will play. If the player is then deactivated for the game, the club will be required to provide an explanation. So look, if T got hurt in warmups and the Bengals didn't tell anyone, I, I think that that's wrong. I think that should be a fine or a penalty or whatever. If he was only active in case of emergency and they didn't tell anyone, I, I think that's a gray area by the letter of the law. I'm really not sure. What I do know is that the fantasy football community, a very noble uh, and level-headed community, of course, is angry. Uh, they're planning a rally in Cincinnati. I'm afraid they may storm the Bengals' practice facility, you know, start taking pictures with their feet up on Zach Taylor's desk. But you guys know my take on this stuff, man. I mean, no excuses ever, you know, no matter what. Yeah, it sucks. And I don't think there was any real way to know T. Higgins was actually hurt. But these midweek injuries are never good, man. They just never are. And maybe we should have docked his projection. Along those lines, Josh Jacobs hurt his calf midweek, though. And I didn't play him that one week because of it. And he went off for like 200 yards. So, yeah, it's tough. One, one thing I thought for sure, though, 
this past week was that given T Higgins was only 900 less than Jamar Chase on DraftKings, it really wasn't worth taking on any injury risk there on T. I played the Joe Burrow double with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd in tournaments. I thought that was really good with Hayden Hurst on the injury report and T, I'm sorry, Hayden Hurst out and T on the injury report. Um, so shout out to me for that. I thought that was good. I have the, I have my GPP bro card to show for it, but of course, $0. Um, so look, I, I know it's tilting the T Higgins stuff, but like almost everything in life, is just more nuanced and complex than it seems. Speaking of nuanced, I hope that Sunday can finally put to bed this notion that high owned defenses are right. Like we have proven repeatedly with historical data that there is virtually no correlation between DST ownership and DST results. You know, at cheapish tags, I, I don't love it, but I, I'm open to arguments. But at 3,800, like the Cowboys were on DraftKings, I mean, my God. And, and look, I, I thought, of course, they were really likely to score eight or 10 points here against the Texans. But whatever, you know, DST is so random. I can get eight or 10 points elsewhere. So Dallas at 3,800 was 34% owned in the Millie Maker. 34%. I mean, that is so insane. They score four points. The Texans D, which I mean, zero people played at 2,100, outscored them five points. Panthers were, of course, the sharp punt, seven points, 12%, 2,200. And look, of, of course, I understand cheap skill players outscore expensive and high-owned skill players all the time. You know, Evan Ingram can go for a 40 ball and Kelsey can get six. But that is way, way, way more outlier than DST stuff. You know, in other words, there's a lot of correlation between projection and actual results at skill positions. There's a lot of correlation between ownership and actual results at skill positions. So anyway, I'm hopeful that the whole Dallas-Houston defense situation can finally put all this to bed. You know, hopefully those people are sleeping, you know, next to the people who called me and my family horrific names because I said Christian McCaffrey was just as likely to get hurt as any other running back this year. Anyway, as for DFS in week 14, I really didn't love the cash slate. I wanted to play balance team, but I just couldn't make it work. I wanted to play Elijah Moore over one of the Houston punts, but didn't have the heart to do it. I think the team I played was solid. You know, maybe I should have had more faith in Chig Aquanu and used that savings to get to Elijah Moore, but I was worried on the Chig usage, and that actually turned out to be right. I mean, Chig's usage in week 14 was not great. He just smashed because he's an alpha. And yeah, the second half of Derrick Henry, that was so brutal, man. I, I thought he was going for 40 at least, and then he just dies somehow after the first quarter, which was really frustrating. Um, tournaments in week 14, I actually thought there was a lot of bad chalk, which was really good for the GPP bros. Like, forget all the macro roster construction stuff. From a micro perspective, when you have 54% Amon Ross St. Brown in the $100 single entry, $31% Cowboys defense. 30% Deontay Foreman, 29% DeAndre Swift, 25% Greg Dolchich. I mean, results aside, that is really condensed ownership by the field and really good for the GPP bros. I mean, Amon Ra, 54% when he's priced so close to Jamar Chase, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Steph Diggs, Justin Jefferson, you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey and, and Derek Henry were also in that range. Cowboys defense, 31% is crazy. We already discussed that. Deontay Foreman, um, at that ownership was a lot considering Chuba was going to play plenty. And then DeAndre Swift, I mean, I mean, we know the team doesn't like him. We know the team hates him. I mean, we've been talking about this for months now. And Greg Dolchich has had the same role for a month plus now. And he fails very often in that role. So, yeah, I thought there was just a really, really a lot of bad chalk. So it was frustrating to not have a good week in tournaments. It was def definitely a gettable week there.
Anyway, no one cares about all this. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Oh, actually, 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 before we do that, I got to give a big shout out to the NBA team. I, I honestly don't think Dink or anyone on the NBA team has any cock left. They've just grinded it all the way to the bone. I mean, the NFL projections are a monster undertaking, and that's once a week. The NBA guys are doing it every day, seven days a week for six months. But honestly, like how difficult that is, how hard it is, how, how many people you need for that, it creates a pretty big moat, I think. So like no one else can really do this. So if you're interested in all in NBA DFS or props, head to establishandrun.com. Check it out. All right. Now, it's time for everybody's favorite portion of the program. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right. Thanks to everyone for the questions. Got a ton of them going to do eight today. We'll get to some more over the next few weeks. Question one from Matt Moore. He says, what is the female equivalent for the masturbation category in the 612-1824 bet? Obviously not verifiable to the same degree, but also very different recovery times compared to men. Discuss the bet with several friends and the wife is miffed when I say she can't partake. I mean, my God, Matt. The fact that your wife wants to do the 612-1824 challenge is a red flag for me, I got to say. For those of you guys who don't know, 612-1824 is a bet I did with Bales maybe four or five years ago. The bet is you have to complete four tasks in 24 hours. The tasks are run miles, eat donuts, drink beers, and masturbate to completion. You know, no dry coming, of course. Bales chose to do six-mile run. We had a stipulation that he had to do it in 60 minutes. 12 jerks to completion, 18 beers, and 24 donuts. He had to do all that in 24 hours. And honestly, he did it relatively easily. You know, uh, I lost like 5K or something, but I got to say it was worth it. It was so fucking funny. We had Friedman in there verifying the specimen. I mean, Bales was in so much pain. His body was so fucked up. It, it was actually great. I mean, it was so fun. Anyway, back to the question. You know, I, I had... Never considered how a female would do this challenge. It never really crossed my mind. And frankly, I, I'm not, you know, and, and sadly, I guess, I'm not sure how your wife can do it, Matt. I had a discussion with Bales on this, and we agreed that although some females do claim to ejaculate, therefore giving us verification on the bet, we believe that ejaculation is, in, is in fact, mere urine. So I, I'm sorry, Matt. I, I don't have an answer for your wife. Um, actually, I'm not sorry, man. You, you don't want her doing this nonsense. You know, grow up. It's enough already. Question two from Wolf. He says, when a player plays a team for a second time in the season, how much do you weigh that player's performance the first, the first time they played? Should it be considered at all? Yeah, I, I don't weigh it very much at all. I don't think you should. I think people get way too caught up in this whole BVP, batter versus pitcher stuff, and baseball, DVP, certain defense versus player. Samples are just so, so, so small, you know, almost irrelevant. The other thing I'd add is that the data is pretty clear that the second time two teams play in a season, the second game historically is lower scoring. I, I, th yeah, I actually haven't checked that in a while, but that was the case a few years ago. But it's really, really small edges there, like maybe a, a percent or a couple percent lower scoring, nothing that would scare me off of a play. The Bengals Ravens stack I hit with last year for the big fan duel score. Um, that was the second time that the Bengals and Ravens played. So yeah, I, I think you can just mostly ignore this, Wolf. 
Question three from William Green. He says, can you talk about the high stakes DFS ecosystem? Is it like poker that the high dollar small field contests are propped up by a succession of whales? If so, where do the whales come from? DFS doesn't offer the same entertainment slash social proposition as poker. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, William, but there's just a lot of rich people out there, man. I mean, who knows where these animals come from? I, I'm always curious, but I, I never ask. It's just wild how many of them are out there. I mean, slots, I would say, is not the same entertainment or social proposition as poker either, but there are people blasting off five, six figures a day on slots. You just don't hear about them. Same with sports. You know, I think you'd be shocked at how many people are just there firing, you know, five figures on live lines, just sitting there watching the game. And, and yeah, I know what you're thinking, Will. And I used to say, think the same thing. Like, I don't know anyone that rich or anyone that wild with their money. So that means they aren't out there. One thing I've definitely learned is that that's a bad way to think. Like when I was growing up, I couldn't fathom anyone beating me in ping pong. Like I beat all my friends so badly, my dad, all his friends too. Then I get to college, I played some guys who were legit and I just got absolutely smoked. You know, and, and even things in your head too. I was like, man, there's no way I could run a mile in five minutes and 30 seconds at age 40. It's just so insane to think someone like Brandon Adams can, but he did and he smoked me in that race in Miami. So, you know, I, I just... There's way more out there in the world going on that don't even realize. Question four from Jeff Schreiber. He says, when is ETR going to expand into content on long shot parlays? It seems to be the same theory as building DFS tournament teams. Yeah, I get it, Jeff. I do. You know, we get a form of this question all the time. Hey, why don't you guys have stuff for single game parlays and betting parlays and long shot markets, et cetera? I, I get it. Everyone is trying to turn a little bit of money into a lot. It's not a lot of risk. It's fun. I, I get it. The answer is simple. We will only provide content or data for markets we think we can beat, period. Um, to get more detailed on the question, though, first of all, DFS tournaments are raked from 10 to 15%, depending on the stakes. These long shot markets, like odds to score first or you know, single game parlays or parlaying a bunch of anytime touchdown scores together, the effective juice on that stuff can be 20, 30%, maybe more. It's really, really hard to overcome that. It doesn't mean it's impossible though. You know, if you're line shopping hard, establishyourrun.com backslash offers, shout out to us. But if you're, if you're line shopping hard, you can knock down that juice in some of the long shot markets. Like for example, last draft season, we had 40 to one on the first three picks in order, which actually hit, which was crazy. But some books had that same bet at 20 to one. Like the awards market just this past week, I think Chris Olave was 10 to one or 12 to one on one book. And he was like four to one everywhere else. So you can reduce juice in markets across books that way. Of course, you can't parlay it that way. So look, if we thought we could do content on long shot parlays, that was actually good. That actually helped people win. Um, we would, and maybe we'll figure it out one day, but, and then we'd obviously make more money for sure, but it's just not the right thing to do, you know, to do content on things we don't think that we can win at. Question five from DMAC. He says, 2022 seems to have seen a shift in DFS cash, specifically how many more quote unquote trains we see. What are your thoughts on this? How should we react as DFS cash players? Yeah, I I'm not so sure about that statement, DMAC, to be honest. Like this rhetoric has been going on in cash for years. You know, Dolt's talking about, oh, I didn't have access to the secret chat that everybody, you know, got the same team from. And people are complaining that the team, that the games are dead. I mean, I've literally been hearing stuff like that since 2015, 2016. Now, look, I, I do agree that the games have gotten tougher and we need to be even more thoughtful about game selection. 
I personally don't play small field double ups. You know, I, I don't play multi-entry double ups. And my ROI in double ups this year is 17.62%, which is really strong, especially since I agree, it does seem like more people are duping me personally than ever. But 17.6% is one of my best years ever in that double up category. Now, again, I, I'm selecting them pretty hard. Now, if you want more cashish action, I think there's a lot of merit in taking a team you think will be duped a lot and making one small 2v2 or 1v1 and putting that in three mans and five mans and 10 mans. You know, I also think there's merit in playing 1 p.m. only and 4 p.m. only where there's undoubtedly less duping. Yeah, I think there's merit in playing different sites, off-brand sites or whatever, where there isn't as much duping because there's less content around it. What I don't think there's merit in is whining about it. You know, there's just, that's just never productive. You know, hey, there's a problem here. There's too many people with the same team in cash. And the most likely outcome in a certain double up is chopping. It shouldn't be, the reaction to that shouldn't be, oh, wow, you know, woe is me. It should be, what's the solution? You know, I just gave some ideas a second ago. I'm sure you can think of more. And, and I hope I'm not coming off too harsh here, but a big part of winning a gambling isn't the actual core skill, you know? And when I say core skill in the case of DFS, I mean making plus EV teams. Of course, that's part of it. But just as big, I think, is getting the right action and adjusting your skills to where the action is. You know, it's not a great comparison, but in poker, these days, often the worst game in an entire poker room is like mid-stakes, no limit hold'em cash. But if you can adjust your skill set to be really good at PLO or mixed games, that's where a lot of the softest action is these days. So, you know, there's, I, there's always a solution, I think. Question six from Gruesome. He says, did you ever get the bidet? I have one and can't imagine my asshole without it. 10 of 10 recommend. Backstory. I broke both my wrists five years ago and my wife got tired of wiping my ass. P.S. I suck at daily fantasy. Well, uh, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about the wrists and the ass wiping, you know, uh, uh, gruesome. That sounds pretty bad. Oh, and I'm sorry about the, the sucking at the DFS too. That, that sounds awful as well. You know, when, when we moved, I asked if we could get the bidet installed in the master bathroom. You know, I said I would pay extra, no problem. They thought I was joking. I don't think they were really accustomed to people, you know, speaking so openly uh, about their asshole. You know, I doubt anyone had ever asked before for the asshole cleaner. Um, anyway, they said no. So yes, I, I do still want to get one installed. It's just a pain in the ass process now that I got to do it myself. And I really can't face that. But one day I will do it. I will do it for sure. Get that bidet installed for the sake of my asshole, as you noted. And I'll report back. Question seven from Sway. He says, how would you go about entering lineups into the wrong DFS contest? Example, I continuously have lineups that crack the top 25 in lower dollar entry, but they would be shipping similar higher money in entry spots, in higher dollar entry spots. Do you just have to take the leap even if your bank roll doesn't allow for it yet? I think I'm following your question here, Sway. I think I know what you're asking. Um, if you only play large field stuff, it can be frustrating to see other people winning a lot more, you know, five figs, even six figs with a team you won 30 or 100 or 200 bucks on. So I get it. I'll say a couple of things. First, the rake is higher. The rake is lower at higher stakes. In other words, like low stakes GPPs can have as much as 16% rate. Higher stakes GPPs, the rake is often around nine or 10%. And I know people just brush that off. It is a massive, massive, massive difference. Second, I would say it's not really about your entry fee size. I think it's more about field size. So no, I would not play outside your bankroll. I would try to find small field contests at your buy-in level. For example, I was just scanning the lobby, you know, quickly for week 14. I saw 
DraftKings has a $9 GPP with 653 entries. You know, the rake on that is 14.9% and first is only $500. But the idea is to practice these smaller field tournaments at small stakes and win and move up. You know, FanDuel has a $5 GPP with 235 people. So the contests are out there for small stakes, small field, and I'd encourage people um, to find those. All right, question eight. Last question we're going to do today comes from Justin. He says, what's your take on married folks with separate bank, bank accounts and a joint account for bills, mortgage, et cetera? Yeah, separate bank account for married people, I think totally fine. You know, m- maybe even optimal, depending on your situation. If both people in the relationship are making their own money and maybe one of them is anal about their money or cheap, or maybe one of them is, is too wild with their money or whatever, I think having separate accounts can save a lot of drama and angst. And I, I get it, you know, old school boomers would say, oh, Adam, that's not the way you do it. You know, that's not the way you do it. In my day, we trusted each other and we blah, blah, blah. I, I'll just never accept, well, this is the way it's always been as a reason to do anything, right? Like marriage is hard, man. I, anything you can do to make it easier, I think is, is worth it. So if you're some sick fuck, you know, you need to have your own account for gambling or milk porn or drugs or whatever. I mean, I'd personally be totally transparent with my wife but look man you know you got to do what you got to do separate bank account it is all right that is going to do it for this edition of the solo pod i'll be back later tonight with silva for the nfc and afc team by team podcast also wanted to note that the rest of season top 150 show is done for the year not much point to do it now that everybody is in the playoffs or has been eliminated from the playoffs in their season-long league, you need to be making moves specific to your team personally. Four, producer Luke. Four, Jerry. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.